This episode is sponsored by Elorm Empire. Shop Elorm Empire. Experience the next gen in technical athletic gear. Ergonomically engineered for yoga, running, hit, office, or travel. Get the latest gear that empowers you. Women's sportswear and jewelry with the most innovative and classic designs. We are the future of athletic gear. Unlock your inner strength with Elorm Empire. We're not just a brand, we're a lifestyle. To save, use coupon code SHARINGLIFELESSONS20 for 20% off. Welcome to episode 50, the final episode of season 5 of Sharing Life Lessons. We are one spirit, one soul, and together we are creating a library of stories. I am your host, Hamida, and I want to bring you stories because stories inspire, stories teach, and stories heal. Listeners, allow me to be a little giddy-headed today about getting the 50th episode of Sharing Life Lessons to you. Five, oh, and unbelievably so. This not only calls for a celebration together, but also my need to express my gratitude to all of you listeners around 32 countries for your ratings, your reviews, more than 7,100 downloads, your monthly paid subscriptions to the podcast, to my sponsors, and most of all to the amazing 50 guests who selflessly have given of their stories and their life lessons. Lastly, my ultimate gratitude is to the universe for allowing me to manifest five whole seasons and 50 entire episodes of this podcast, a goal I could only dream of when I started in January 2020. And now, it is real. Over to our guest for today. For those who are regular listeners, you may remember that I started the fifth season by interviewing one of my favorite author, Neil Walsh, the author of New York Times bestseller book, Conversations with God. To end the season, I bring you my favorite founder and entrepreneur. He was global head of hospitality and strategy at Airbnb before he became the founder of Modern Elder Academy, a midlife wisdom school for those who want to repurpose their already successful lives. Everyone, let's welcome Chip Conley. Chip. Welcome to Sharing Life Lessons. I have been waiting for this moment. It's been a while since I've been thinking of asking you, but here's why I didn't. This is season five. And my congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. I wanted you to be my 50th episode. And that is Mm. why I timed this the way I did. (laughs) I like that. I wish I was still 50 years old. I'm 60. So. Well, happy 60th birthday. I know your birthday just uh, your 60th birthday was last year. So happy birthday. And can you please start us off by telling us something about yourself? Sure. Well, I, long story short is I grew up in Southern California. I went to college and graduate school in Northern California. A couple years after I graduated and got my business school degree, my MBA, I started a hotel company, a boutique hotel company called Joie de Vivre, which means joy of life in French. And I ran that company as CEO for 24 years. We created 52 boutique hotels all in California and became the second largest boutique hotelier in the United States. And then I decided to sell. 
And when we get to my life lessons, I'm going to tell you why I sold. But I, I wasn't really sure what was next for me. And there's a, a movie that's so fun. Everybody loves it. Never didn't win any Academy Awards, but it's called The Intern with Robert De Niro and Anne Hathaway. And it's got a great theme. And Robert De Niro goes into a young company as, as the 70-year-old intern. And he says at the start of the movie, musicians don't retire. They quit when there's no more music left inside of them. And I was 50 years old, and I knew I still had music inside of me, but I wasn't sure who to share it with. And that's um, when I got a call from Brian Chesky, who's the a young CEO and co-founder of a little tech company called Airbnb that very few people had heard of. Mm -hmm. This was eight years ago. And he said, I want you to be my in-house mentor and I want you to help us democratize hospitality. So I did that for four years as the in-house uh, head of global hospitality and strategy. The person who helped Brian is a, a CEO who's 21 years younger than me. He was my boss and I was his mentor. And that was a funny relationship. And after four years there, I decided I wanted to write my fifth book, which is called Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. And while I was writing that book down here in Baja, which is where, this, where I'm coming to you from, I have a home that's on the beach here. I had this epiphany one day, what I, what I would call a Baja aha. My Baja aha was, why is it that we don't have midlife wisdom schools, a place where people can go and learn and repurpose themselves and reimagine how they want to spend the second half of their adulthood. And so lo and behold, we created something called MEA, Modern Elder Academy, because I was called the Modern Elder at Airbnb. And uh, three years later, we have a thousand alumni from 24 countries, including you. <laughs> and, and it's been a, a spectacular journey. We now are going to be expanding into the United States from Mexico because we are Baja California is we're Southern Baja, just about an hour North of Cabo San Lucas. And we've bought a 2,600 acre ranch outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico to create our first U S location. And yeah, I feel really good because I, what I know is the program has really helped a lot of people transform their mindset on aging and to get them to help, help people to cultivate and harvest their wisdom and to know how to repurpose it in, in new ways. Um, and it's built a, a really robust community as well. So two things from your introduction. First of all, Baja, where you have your Modern Elder Academy campus is gorgeous. I have never been to a more serene place than that mm. ever. And I have traveled, mm. but that ocean there, there was some connection with that ocean. It taught me so much, so thank mm. you. Mm. Yes. Secondly, before we get on to the story, <laughs> you and I both love Rumi and Rumi's wisdom through his quotes. So yes. before we get to the story, let's exchange our favorite Rumi quotes. What's yours? I actually have two. I'll just give you one of them, unless you want me to give you both. But of the, course, both uh, are better than one. Okay, so the, one, of them, one of them is just well-known, and it's uh, between the ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field, I'll meet you there. Which is actually, I think, appropriate in the times we live in where we are all pointing fingers at each other in terms of who's doing right and who's doing wrong. And uh, as Bruce Springsteen recently showed in his Jeep commercial, there's something in the middle and it's something in the middle where it's probably where the accuracy is. 
The second quote of Rumi that I will say most of you have never heard of before, that one you may have heard of. This one's very appropriate for people who are in midlife or later. Rumi said 750 years ago, my life can be summed up in three phases. I was raw, I became cooked, and then I burned. And so in essence, what he was saying is, I was a learner, a student. Mm -hmm. I was cooked as, an, as a, a worker in the world. And then I burned and I retired. And what I found fi fascinating about that quote is, I think that the real way to look at life now is raw, cooked, burned, repeat, become raw again. I and like I think learning, learning how to become raw again in midlife is one of the gifts of what we do here at MEA is help people to become raw again. I like that. I was hoping you wouldn't steal mine and you didn't. So here's mine. Gratitude is the wine of the soul. Go ahead, get drunk. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. That is so good. Thank you. Okay, so since we have started this episode with so much ancient wisdom from Rumi, we are now ready for your story. Mm. Tell us what has really defined you as a person and from which you learned life lessons. I could give you a, a number of examples. I, I, I will focus on one, but let me just say, growing up in a place where I was from a predominantly white neighborhood and then going to junior high school and high school in a predominantly non-white neighborhood, where I was called the curious white boy. I loved it. I was, it forced me to understand about what does it mean to be the other at a very young age. And so I'm not going to give you that story. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to go to a, more of an adult story. You know, what they've shown in social science studies is something called the U-curve of happiness. The U-curve of happiness basically says that between about age 22 and 25, people start becoming a little bit less happy each year until between 45 and 50. And between 45 and 50, you hit the bottom of the barrel. It's 47.2, technically speaking, is when it gets the worst. So anybody out there is 47 years and two or three months, you're in trouble. And then it gets better. And people in their 50s are happier than 40s, 60s happier than 50s, 70s happier than 60s. So what happened to me is around age 47, my life just fell apart on so many levels. Uh, when a, a handful of my friends committed suicide, mm -hmm. uh, one of them named Chip, my foster son, who's African-American and, and an adult, was wrongfully charged of a, with a crime that was going to send him to San Quentin. The Great Recession was coming along, so I was running out of cash to run my business, Chiradaviv. I didn't want to be running Chiradaviv anymore. What used to be a calling for me that I loved was now a, a, just a dreary job. I didn't pay myself for three and a half years because I couldn't afford to. I had, I had debts that were piling up. I had a long-term relationship that was ending. So all of that was happening at the same time that I realized I don't want to do this anymore. I had just written my third book at that time. This was 2007 called Peak, How Great Companies Get Their Mojo from Maslow. Mm -hmm. And I just realized I wanted to be a writer and a speaker and I wanted to have freedom. And I didn't know how. And so I would have these nightmares or dreams of car crashes and cancer and anything I could come up with that in my dreams that would say, this is what would free me from what felt like a prison. But it was really the prison of my own making. And the prison of my own making because I was feeling like I had to be the hero. And I felt obliged to everybody in my company. At that point, 
we grew from one person, me, to 3,500 people, I, I was obliged to my ego because I didn't want to actually admit to the world that we were failing. I was obliged to my identity. I was the CEO and founder of this company that had a big reputation. And so what ended up happening is I broke my ankle playing baseball at a bachelor party. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a cut on my leg that I wasn't aware of. And I got became a bacterial infection. And I almost had to have my leg amputated. But instead, they put me on a very strong antibiotic. And I should have just stayed at home. <laughs> Broken ankle, bacterial infection in the leg, antibiotic. But like four days upon my recovery... I was on crutches and I said, listen, I'm giving a speech. I have a speech in St. Louis uh-huh. and I'm, go- I'm going there. And I did. And at the end of my speech, I collapsed in my chair when I was signing books. And when the paramedic showed up five minutes later, I died. I actually flatlined. I went to the other side. I, uh, I had what's called a near-death experience, uh, uh-huh. NDE. But it was not just a near-death experience. I literally went to the other side nine times in the next 90 minutes. And it was that night after being in the emergency room and the ICU, that night, me being in my hospital room, I pulled out of my little backpack, Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, which is a a book that I've always enjoyed. And I had taken it with me on this trip, partly because I had really been searching for meaning. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I have a flatline experience. And then it's like, okay, well, what am I supposed to learn here? And my life lesson here is the following. I almost had to have a divine intervention to come in and just say, Chip, you could die at any moment. Do not continue to do something that you don't want to do. You have obligations, you have responsibilities. You can't just walk away from this. And in fact, for the next two years, I had to go through the whole process in the bottom of a great recession of figuring out how to sell this business, which really had almost no value but it used to have a lot of value. Mm-hmm. And, if I, and if I had been patient enough to wait three or four years, it would have had a lot of value again. But I went through the process that next two years quite privately saying, I'm going to figure out how to sell this business. And, and I did. This is truly a remarkable story, Chip. And I'm sure we can have a whole different podcast on what's on the other side of life. Yeah, we could. Right. Okay. I'm going to reserve that slot for you. Okay. 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 You, you, you'll owe me a favor. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> I'd say there are three lessons here for me. One was seize the day, know that at any moment you, you could die. And being, pa- being patient is a, is a virtue. And yet it also can be a curse if you're patiently waiting for happiness or patiently waiting to do the thing that you want, really want to do. Mm-hmm. because something might stand in its way. So I guess number one is don't wait. Do and, and, and don't silently live a life of desperation and suffering because you are weighed down by your ego or your identity. Number two is have a small collection of people by your side. So it was very hard to talk in my company and et cetera about what had happened to me. And so I had just like a half dozen people who were the, my closest confidants who each of whom, like one was a financial engineer trying to help me figure out how to sell my company. Another was a life coach who was helping me to try to figure out what the hell I was supposed to do with my life. Another one was a, was a relationship counselor who was trying to figure out, should I save this long-term relationship I was in? And another was a lawyer who was helping with me, me with my 
my foster son situation. So I ended up in a place where I felt loved and cared for with a small group of people. And I call that emotional insurance. We have property and liability insurance in our lives for a rainy day, but most of us never think about emotional insurance. So what is the premium for that emotional insurance? The premium, great question, is you better be the emotional insurance in someone else's life. It's all reciprocal. We love that. It's karmic. You're pay, I'm paying premiums by being helpful to someone else. So emotional insurance is really important. And our wellness as humans is not, you know, we tend to think of wellness as being a personal thing. Am I working out enough? How am I eating? Um, am I sleeping enough? These are all personal things. Illness starts with the letter I and wellness starts with the letters W-E, we. Mm. And so, so much of our life experience is about the connection. Okay, so that's the second lesson. And then I think the third lesson is open your life up and have faith and trust that something good's going to come along. Not because you're just sitting on the couch watching I Love Lucy reruns and eating bonbons, but because you've done the hard work to prepare yourself for this moment. And that's what happened when I sold the business. If I'd never sold the business, the founders of Airbnb would never have come to me and said, hey, we have this little startup, we need your help. And eight years later, I can say that it's been the most profound part of my life, my work life. It did lead me to realizing I wanted to be a modern elder when I grew up, led me to creating the Modern Elder Academy. And because of Airbnb's IPO, it means that I have all this money from the IPO that I can invest in the Modern Elder Academy's growth around the world as a social mission. So those are my three lessons. Chip, those were some insightful lessons, and thank you for sharing them. As a follow-up, tell me how fear plays a part in all of this. Everyone wants to not feel stuck. Everyone wants to take the leap. But there is that fear that holds you back. I am sure you had some of that too. So tell us how you overcame that. Well, I would say fear. So first of all, the fear of the unknown is, you know, just something we all know about. And and, and as humans, we go back to the times of being a cave person and, you know, you have a fight or flight. So if something's going to put fear into you, you fight or you flight or you freeze. And often we freeze in fear. I, I think the two primary elements of that relate to fear and anxiety that comes from fear, if you really understand this emotional equation, anxiety equals uncertainty times powerlessness, you recognize that the two key ingredients that create anxiety in our, in our lives is not knowing something, uncertainty, and not feeling like you can influence or control something, powerlessness. And so the key, whenever I'm feeling fearful or anxious, is to look at how can I learn more about this thing? Is there something I can study around it to help me to, or can I ask someone? If I think I'm going to lose my job, can I go to my boss and say, hey, is my job in jeopardy? Now, most of us don't want to ask that, but man, wouldn't it be better to actually know that your job's in jeopardy? as opposed to just worry about it. Because if you know your job's in jeopardy, you can start actually thinking, okay, how am I going to go find a job? But worrying about it just means you don't sleep well at night. And frankly, you probably aren't doing a very good job at work because you're so stressed. Yeah. Similarly, powerlessness, being able to look at something and being scared of it and anxious about it 
but then actually say, what, what do I, what can I influence? It then gives you some sense of agency. And when you have agency, you have a sense that, okay, I have power. And having some power puts a little bit of confidence back in your life. Got it. Tell us about some life lessons that you learned at Airbnb. That must be some adventure. What did you get out of that? I think the number one life lesson I, I got was, wow, a modern elder, I was 52 when I joined, I'm 60 now. Um, a modern elder is a combination of curiosity and wisdom. I thought elders were all about wisdom. No, the best elders, the ones who are modern elders, are the ones who are as curious as they are wise. They know how to ask great questions. They're constantly fascinated by something new. I joined a tech company at age 52. Mm -hmm. I know nothing about tech. I never worked in the tech company. I didn't even know what the word product meant, which is sort of the, the website, the software application. Oh, they were talking a language that was way over my head. And here I was supposed to be the head of global hospitality and strategy. I'm the head of strategy for a tech company and I've never worked in a tech company before. <laughs> so what I really learned is, as my dad said to me, because I was fearful. And my dad said to me about a month into it, because I was going to quit. I said, I don't want everybody to know how dumb I am about this stuff. And my dad said, how can you turn your fear into curiosity? Mm, so that's a life lesson for me is that, you know what, when I could actually start admitting what I didn't know and being okay with that, because I showed up with what I did know and people appreciated my wisdom. They also appreciated my curiosity because it showed a humility and it showed actually a, a really an inquiry about life because sometimes my curious questions that sounded very innocent were really profound. I was asking questions that were showing the company some of our blind spots and the blind spots nobody had noticed. And so I would say my key lesson there, and then the other lesson there is like, you know what, if you're 58 years old and you're going to live till 98, you're only halfway through your adult life if you start counting at age 18. So most of us have so much more life ahead of us as an adult than we have even imagined. So, I mean, I'm, at, I'm age 60 now, and I, I think I'm about halfway through my adult life. And I'm not saying that because I'm going to go in to Silicon Valley and have them, like, turn me into a robot or something. I'm saying that because, quite frankly, as the United States, men die seven years younger than women. But if you're a 65-year-old man, mm -hmm. so men in the U.S. die at about age 77 on average, I think it is. But if you're 65 in the U.S. and in good health, the likelihood that you're going to live till 85 is 50-50. So what longevity shows is the average, but people who die young count into that average. So if you're 65 years old and you're in good health and you're a man, you're going to live till 85. If you're a woman, you're going to live till after 90. Mm -hmm. These are the things that we underestimate is like, okay, well, if I'm now 60, how could I learn Spanish? I live in Mexico. I know French. That's what I learned um, in, in high school. But I need to learn Spanish. And it's better for me to learn it at age 60 than at age 70. And are you? Yes. Mi español es muy malo. Pero tengo en la casa en Baja California Sur. Entonces estoy mejorando. Which means? means uh, which means my, my Spanish isn't very good. But I now own a home in Baja California Sur. Uh, so I am getting better 
type mm. of Spanish. Mm. You're never too old to learn, as they say. And this all has been great life lessons, great stories. Jeb, do you have a final message for the listeners? Yes, my final message would be seek wisdom in your life. We are taught to seek knowledge, and yet wisdom is so much more valuable. Knowledge becomes obsolescent, you know, in many cases. If you learned a computer programming language 30 years ago, it may not be very relevant today. But wisdom is valuable, and that's why I write a daily blog called Wisdom Well that is on the Modern Elder Academy website, modernelderacademy.com. And I encourage people to go there because every day I give a little microdose of wisdom to our community. And all the links for that is going to be in my show notes. And this is FYI to the listeners. So in case you want to either get in touch with Modern Elder Academy or Chip or listen to his daily wisdom well, then um, you'll find that in the show notes. And also, Chip, I will remember because I found that very intriguing turn your fear into curiosity. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Thank you for those pearls of wisdom. It was great having you on the show. It was really nice talking to you. And I hope to see you really soon in Baja, not in New York, but in Baja. Anywhere, anywhere. I'd love to see you anywhere. Thank you, Chip. All right. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed Chip's stories, his life lessons, and his laughter as much as I did. As always, here are some of my key takeaways from this discussion. One, seize the day. Do not continue to do something that you don't want to do. Two, have a small collection of people who will always love and support you. Chip calls them your emotional insurance, which he says is very important in life. Three, illness starts with the letter I and wellness starts with the letters W-E. So much of our life experience is about the connections we make. Four, open your life up and have faith and trust that something good is going to come along. Five, remember Chip's dad's advice to him. How can you turn your fear into curiosity? And lastly, for those who have not read Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, it is an absolute must read. In fact, as a 50th episode celebration for the first three people who write to me at sharinglifelessons101 at gmail.com, I will send you that book from me. This brings us to the end of season five and episode 50. I will bring you the first episode of season six of Sharing Life Lessons on April 7th. For those of you who need to catch up with episodes, you have three weeks to do that. Until then, be happy. Be safe and be well.